Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast, hosted by Renita Ray Davis, licensed clinical social worker, board-approved social work clinical supervisor, and facilitator of the Goddesses of Social Work supervision community. Join us as we travel through the social work journeys told by the Goddesses of Social Work community members, past and present, as they make their way toward clinical licensure. Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. I'm here today with Kiara Doty, MSW. Kiara is a dedicated social worker specializing in substance abuse and mental health and has been committed to making a positive impact on the lives of individuals and families. Earning a Bachelor of Social Work, BSW from Alabama State University in 2010 and a Master of Social Work, MSW from the University of Connecticut in 2011, Kiara has used her skills and knowledge to better serve those in need by addressing generational trauma and promoting holistic healing approaches that address the whole person. As the very first student from Alabama State University to intern with the Federal Defender Program for the Middle District of Alabama, a seed was planted that led Kiara to currently pursuing a doctorate in psychology, PsyD, with a focus on forensic psychology. In addition to Kiara's work in social services, human behavior in both the juvenile and adult justice system, her deep passion for equality and accessibility in all areas of life led to becoming the founder of Magnificent Delights. Kiara believes that pets play a pivotal role in the mental health journey for individuals and to ensure the longevity of their partnership, owners should be able to have access the high quality treats and care products that are affordable. Kiara recently achieved a significant milestone in her entrepreneurial journey by becoming the first African-American woman to be recognized as the best pet store in Baldwin County, Alabama. This accomplishment not only reflects Kiara's dedication to excellence, but also underscores her commitment to breaking barriers and creating opportunities for underrepresented communities. Welcome to the show, Kiara. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, Kiara, I have been waiting to do this podcast interview with you for a while now. When I read your bio, the first thought I had was from the ground up. First, by becoming the first student to intern at the Federal Defender Program, and now being recognized as the first African-American woman owner of the best pet store in Baldwin County, which is no small feat. And you're a social worker. How does it feel to be the first to break through so many barriers? And what do you think it takes to do that? Um, First off, it feels really good. Um, And for me, what it took for me was just being true to myself, not allowing anybody to put me in a box and tell me what I should be. Can you tell me more about Magnificent Delights? I love that name. Yes. Okay. So initially it started off because first off, I was buying all natural treats for my dogs and they were still getting sick. And then the more research I did, I realized that that stuff in there was not really all natural. So I started making their own treats and then it became sort of um, a therapy for me to be able to relax when I get off work from such a stressful job. And then I'll never forget, um, one day I posted some Star Wars treats that I made um, for like May the 4th to be with you or whatever it was. And uh, I'll never forget uh, a girl that I had never met a day in my life. She commented on the picture and said, invest in yourself, sis. 
and I haven't looked back since. Wow. A stranger said yes. invest in yourself. And then that's how it took off. What year was that, uh, Kier? It was 2019. Wow, right before the pandemic. Right so did the pandemic help with Absolutely you? Did. <laughs> Can you <laughs> tell me how? Because I, I know it did. Yes, how um, did that? Yeah. It was easy because like stores were shutting down. People were scared to go out. So it was easy for me to either deliver it at their house and allow or allow them to come pick them up. Awesome. So, I know, love that. Contact. So yeah, that really helped. Yes, yes. And I know because I have I, I followed your journey, obviously, with Magnificent Delights. And it was mostly I thought when I would see your post on Facebook, they were dog treats. But for you to become the best pet store in Baldwin County, which is one of the largest counties in Alabama, yeah. you must have expanded yes. past dog treats to other things. What, what are you doing now? Well, now... um. I'm doing cat treats as well because like I started doing local markets and every time I would go, someone would say, well, you don't have any cat treats. You don't have any cat treats. And I was like, you know what? Give me a second. So, you know, I took the time. I did my research. Um, I talked to, I made friends with some vets outside of the vets that my dogs were seeing and just got a lot of insight from it. And now we have uh, cat treats. I also do um, like paw soothers and rubs for the dogs. And I'm working on now um, a spa care line with the conditioners and the shampoos and the sprays. I love that so much. Here, do you think that your social, we're not going to get into, we're about to get into your social work journey in just a second, but do you think your, any of your social work skills helped you with expanding and marketing and or creating relationships, like I heard you just say, with the vets and with the, the markets and all of that? Yes, absolutely. Um, compassion goes a long way. Compassion and empathy goes a long way. Um, recently, we did a market and it was a little kid there. I don't know, for whatever reason, I really love freckles. Like, I really, really do. And his mom was there and she was kind of browsing. And you can kind of tell when somebody's like really not going to buy something. They're just looking. But I was talking to her kid and I said, um, I absolutely love your angel kisses. And her eyes got so big. And um, she pulled me to the side and she said, you know what? I can't thank you enough for what you just did because he's been getting bullied so much at school for that. So to hear somebody tell him how beautiful and special that is means the world for me. And she spent a couple of hundred dollars. Wow. Yeah. So like, wow. being, able, like being a social worker definitely gives you skills to be able to connect with your customers on a deeper level than just wanting some money. Like, I didn't mm. go into this for the money at all. It was because I truly wanted something better for everybody. Exactly. Exactly. I, You know, I told you before we hit record that you, um, when I think of you, I think of Stacey Pita Chips, and yes. she's an MSW, and you are the Black girl version of that to yes. me. Yes. <laughs> Where do you see Magnificent Delights headed? Oh, gosh. I see Magnificent Delights nationwide storefront wide um so many possibilities um my mind is always on another level of thinking i don't even sleep really good at night because i'm constantly thinking of things magnificent delight for me is like it's my baby so just like a parent with their child they want to nurture it to make it be all that it can be and that's literally what this is for me i'm gonna ask you a question i don't know where it's coming from but you know 
this is more than a side hustle. I don't think I have a question. It's a statement. I wanted you just to, yeah, yeah. this is because you're still doing your social work full time. Absolutely. But, and you know, some people are like, Oh, I need a side hustle. But this feels like it, especially being recognized as the best pet store in Baldwin County. Again, one of the largest counties in Alabama, this has got to be more than just a side hustle for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Like, when I tell you, like, this is my retirement plan. Side hustles, you do it just to have fun. Like, no, this is my retirement plan to the point where, like, the things that I do now is to set up my children's children's children. Like, I'm all about this. Open my eyes to the importance of what generational wealth is, truly is. So, yeah, it's definitely way deeper than a side hustle for me. I love it. I love it. But I am going to get into your social work journey. And I guess part of that, too, is... Is social work lifelong for you or are we transitioning eventually, do you think? I'll say it's lifelong only because I didn't choose social work. Social work chose me. So as bad as I want to get away from it, like I'm not going to lie. As bad as I want to get away from it and focus solely on magnificent delights, it's like you can't ignore your gift and your calling. And that's where I am with it. So yeah, I, no matter what I do, if I'm not working full social worker mode, therapist mode, um, it's going to creep up in some kind of way. Like that's just inevitable. Absolutely. I love, you know, let me ask you this and I promise I'm going to get into your social work journey, but this is just so <laughs> intriguing. You know, for those of us who may not have um, a baby on the side, you know, of our full-time jobs, what, do you could you see social work creating generational wealth? Um, I do. However, the only way I can see it's creating generational wealth is if you were a rebel like me. I love like, it. That, yeah. Honestly, that's the only way because social work, as much as I love the profession and the field, it's such a box of confinement. So, in order to do what's never been done. You have to go against the grain. And that gets really tricky um, because, again, social work is also such a political career. And I don't care. You know, I do what makes me feel good to where I can connect with my whoever it is where they are. Like, I don't. And I may be jumping a gun with your interview questions, but like, I don't even fit into a community of social workers. I have my community because I know they understand me, but I'm such an unorthodox social worker that I'm often misunderstood. And and to prevent me feeling some type of way or me making them feel some type of way, I'm okay with not needing to be in their space. So I created a space of my own. I love it. And I think that is what... So mm. Social workers who are called to do this profession do yeah. create our own spaces, right? Because yeah. we're the ones serving those who are the outliers. Mm -hmm. And so when we create these clicks, are we really doing what we were called to do? So exactly. I, let, yeah, let's get into your, let's get into your <laughs> social work journey. Tell me all about it. Start from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. So from the beginning, let's see. Initially, I never, I didn't want to be a social worker. Like, let's just do that first. Initially, I didn't want to be a social worker. Um, my childhood dream, believe it or not, was to either be a race car driver 
or in the circus because I'm double jointed in my arms and legs. So I like I used to beg my mom to be in the circus. <laughs> she thought I was weird. But then um, I became really ill when I was nine years old with spinal meningitis, which as I was an adult, became an adult, um, was properly diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. So I wanted to be a brain surgeon because as a little kid, as a little nine year old, I was saying, I need to figure out how to fix kids. When I realized being a brain surgeon just required way too much and it only fixed like one thing, that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I'll never forget. Um, you know how like in high school they give you like the little outline of what you want to do, where you see yourself, you know, in five, ten years or whatever. And I wrote on mine, I see myself being a social worker. And I have not let off the gas ever since. Yeah. How did you even know what a social worker was? Uh, Good question. How did I? I don't. I, I'm now that part I can't remember. Unfortunately, I can't. But I, I see. Yeah, I, I wanted to be a social worker. Wow. And so then you went to Alabama State University. Yep. That was the BSW, right? Yeah. Yep. Well, how did you end up in? How did I end up in Connecticut? So, um, at Alabama State, um, there was a I want to say a college fair, if I'm not mistaken. So they had like a bunch of colleges come down for master's programs. Um, and initially I was accepted into Howard University um, master's program and the University of Connecticut's program. But I chose Connecticut because I had already done the HBCU experience and I wanted something different. Like, don't get me wrong. H my HBCU experience was the ultimate greatest experience I could have ever asked for hands down. But for me, it was like, I wanted to be more cultured, to be able to connect with more people because I knew like I wasn't only going to serve African-Americans. So I wanted to get that experience of how it was to be amongst them as well. And they also offered me a sweeter deal than Howard too. Um, I was able to do an advanced standing program where I got my master's in 10 months. Yeah, like it was intense, intense. But hey, I made it. I, I graduated with, a, what was it, 3.8? Um, it was intense, but we did it. Congratulations, yeah. yeah. We we've talked in the past, if you don't mind, before we get into your career in social work, uh, we've talked about the license, right? <laughs> Do you mind? I, I loved your licensing journey. Do you mind sharing it? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So I graduated from Alabama State, um, what was it, May 2010. I immediately, I didn't take my bachelor's levels license because a month later I was starting my master's degree. Um, I had a job lined up out of my master's program. So I didn't immediately take it then either, but I was kind of being pushed into doing it. Um, so when I first took it, I failed by three points. Right. And then I took it again because I was still being pushed and I failed by two points. And after that, I was like, you know what, screw this, you know, like you're not going to define my gift with a test. Like it, you're just not going to do that. And not having my license, uh, it probably has prevented me from certain opportunities, but I have to ask myself, are those opportunities that would have even been fulfilling for me? Would I even have been able to authentically be myself? And I would have chosen the path that I'm taking now any day. Absolutely. Because that's what I'm going to say. It doesn't feel like it stopped you in any way at all. No. no. Yeah.
Uh -huh. I mean, it's a piece of paper. Like, we go to school for all these years, and we have to, first off, pay way too much money to take this test. And then you can tell me if I'm good enough for a job after I've received all this education. That just doesn't make sense to me. Absolutely. And again, it hasn't stopped you as far as I know you have magnificent delights. And again, I was even thinking, would you have been able to have the energetic bandwidth to pursue that? Absolutely. Had you right? Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. But then even the MSW, we we're talking about, you know, we don't talk enough about the value of the MSW. It doesn't feel like it feels like it's taking you far. Do you mind sharing what your career Absolutely. path has been? With the sure. MSW? Absolutely. So when I first, I got my MSW, um, my first career was as a residential slash outpatient, um, specifically female women facility. And it was most of addiction, um, helping them regain, you know, custody of their children, of teaching. I was a 20 something year old lady coming out of college teaching 30 and 40 year old women, how to be mothers. And that was such an eye opener to the point now where like, I'm still connected with their children. Like I may not still be connected to them because of, you know, client and, you know, professional rights or whatever, but their children still reach out to me, um, which is such an amazing thing to like see them grow and to have them thank me is more rewarding for the impact that I played in their parents' life and their parents' journey. But to see that it was so beneficial to the child. Um, and then from there, where did I go from there? From there, I started working for CAP, the Chemical Addiction Program. Um, and then from there, I went to working for DHR. And I have worked for DHR in four different counties in Alabama. Um, I have fulfilled many roles from being the intake worker to being the child abuse and neglect investigator to supervising foster care, supervising children abuse and neglect, supervising adult protective services. I mean, I supervise literally every area, like no, no exaggeration, every area of DHR. And then from there, I took on um, being an adolescent therapist at... Um, Pathways, which is a residential facility as well for um, adjudicated adolescents. And that's currently where I am now. Yeah, you've stayed in the substance abuse arena. Is that yes. the, the niche that you are enjoying or do you see yourself expanding? I think this is where I, I love mm -hmm. because it's so much connected to it and it gives, um, a, it paints a clearer picture for the healing journey. Um, a lot of times when people, to me, a lot of times when you deal with people, they just bring you what they're dealing with right then and there. But when you deal with substance abuse, substance abuse is the, after, the aftermath of what has happened. So for me to be able to get down to the, the blueprint of what laid that foundation to cause you to get into these certain things, it's more fulfilling because not only does that person not feel so attacked and judged about their addiction it gives them the ability to realize that their addiction may not have been their fault so I, yeah this is definitely mm -hmm. my niche i wouldn't choose anything else yeah. i used to think though i used to think that i wanted to work at the mental hospital but being unconventional and this is probably where i go wrong with unconventional I won't say go wrong. I'll take that back. 
but I don't agree with how mental health patients are treated. So I would have probably gotten fired. I'm just gonna be honest. I you know what? You might have gotten fired, but you would have helped a lot of people along yeah. the way. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten fired for jobs. I'm not ashamed of that. <laughs> fire me. Fire me. <laughs> but I helped some people along the way. So that's all right. So then now you're also doing the your doctorate, right? And so I'm almost seeing that are is that more the macro level work that you're wanting to impact or talk to me about what you're going to do with that doctorate degree. So my ultimate dream with my doctorate degree is to be able to um, just analyze the mental status of individuals when they've committed crimes. Um, juvenile Juveniles, for one, they're judged so harshly on the crimes that they commit, but they, the world just don't take into account you know, not only their background, not only their maturity level, you know, the brain just is not developed enough to even fully function or to understand what they're doing. Granted, you know, we all know right from wrong at a very early age, but the depth of the crimes that the children typically commit, um, a lot of times they're not given the proper treatment to ensure that they won't reoffend. Re Absolutely. Yeah. You're when I hear you talk, you're really getting at the core root of the problem. And it even feels like before they even have to go through the trauma of substance use abuse, you're wanting to even do the preventative work. The as preventative, well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You, you kind of spoke to this a little bit earlier when you were talking about community and creating your own communities and that is why one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast was because I I realized the importance of being community. And so I like that you created, you're a renegade and you created your own <laughs> community of social workers. What does that look like for you? And what have you learned about yourself being in community with those folks? What I have learned about myself most is it's okay to be you. Like you don't have to put who you truly are up on a shelf to fit into a profession. And to be able to be surrounded by like-minded people is so rewarding and comforting. Um, I've been to a lot of social worker conferences and I'm always sitting there clammed up, like, you know, because you just don't feel like you fit in. But to be able to be around individuals where you can let your hair down, they truly understand you and you understand them and there's no judgment. And to be able to have someone who can call me on, you know, hey, no, sis, that's not, that's not right. You know what I mean? Like, or hey, try looking at it this way. I'm all for that. But it's just a certain way to do it. But a lot, and this is my personal experience, a lot of individuals in our field, they are so textbook driven that it's anything outside of what they see as evidence-based is wrong. Well, listen, evidence-based doesn't save lives all the time. Me, you know, what I truly feel deep within, because we weren't created by a textbook. Like, let's just be real. We weren't. So being authentic and true to the person that I was created to be and living my living through that 
to fulfill my gifts, um, it really has helped me build a, a wonderful community. Absolutely. When you were talking, I was thinking about some of the social, I haven't been to one in forever, but you're right. There is, I think what you're saying, social workers having to feel like they don't belong in these, at these conferences speaks to the profession, right? Yes. It really yes. speaks to the profession. And then the second thought I was having was you have often in throughout your career with being the first intern at the Federal Defenders Program, being the first African-American woman to be named the best pet store in Baldwin County. You keep breaking barriers. I think it's time that we're breaking some barriers within the social work profession. Yes. I mean, it's necessary. Like, this is a profession where you get burned out really, really easy. And a lot of times that burnout comes from being put in that box and somebody putting that lid on it and you just can't breathe. And the, the moment I was like, look, open that door, I've never closed it. And it has been a breath of fresh air. Like I, And from then, like I've never allowed anybody ever to place me in a box ever again in my life. I don't care if it's, that's beyond the profession because a flower don't bloom in a box. It will never reach its full potential with a lid on it. So why do we have to be put in such a tight space to where it's hard for us to grow and expand to be able to connect with people. Um, and th this is my thought process. Um, social work is a forever changing field, but the basis of it is still being taught in the world that no longer exists. And that's why so many people are falling through cracks. And I have a real bad issue with that. That was some, that was a word right there. That was a whole <laughs> word right there. And, and you know, I just did a podcast episode with um, Gina. I forget, forget her last name right now, but she is called Decolonizing mm. Your Social Work Practice because it's not even just there, we're, we're still teaching in a world that no longer exists. What about the cultural nuances? Exactly. Right. Within, you know, you showing up as your authentic self allows your clients to show up as their authentic self. And the work that you get in hearing back from the kids that you said of their parents says that apparently what you're doing is right. Right. Yeah. You know what? I, I'll never forget um, when I was an intern in Connecticut, uh, I was working for a in-home, out-of-home treatment facility um, where we focus on MDFT. And one of the girls who was interning there as well, she came in one day and she had her pearls on and everything. And she was like, you going out in the field like that? Yes, I had my slacks on. I had khakis. As a matter of fact, I had khakis on. I had my Jordans. Um, and, you know, it's not necessarily a name brand thing. And um, she said, you know, you're going out in the field like that. I said, listen, I'm going to the projects. I run up in there with some pearls on and diamonds. I'm going to get jacked. Like, let me be me. I don't want to ever go into a atmosphere where I make somebody feel like I'm making them feel less than. That and part. that there was a huge eye opener for me, like even down the line in our internship. And we had to do, uh, what is it called? Uh, reviews or whatever they are. The and, evaluations, um, yeah. Evaluations. Mm -hmm. There we go. And we talked and she was struggling. 
Like she just couldn't connect with them. And I was like, I ain't having no problems. And it was like, well, what is it that, why is it that you aren't struggling? Well, one, I'm not covering my tattoos because this is my expression. This is my freedom of expression. I'm not covering it. When I sit down with my kids and they want to know about my tattoos, baby, let's share these stories of why I got this, what this means to me. Because that's the true reality of the world. We can't go into these spaces putting on this happy-go-lucky face. That's not real. You know, like giving somebody what my husband or whatever, like husband and friends like to say, is like, you're just too raw. Like you have no filter. And that's okay. Because you seeing me as somebody, one that's not intimidated, one that's not, um, I'll never make it seem like I'm better than anybody. I can get on ground level with you. Look, we can sit out here and play in the dirt together if we need to. Like these shoes or whatever I have on do not matter to me. That will forever give you more success than you sitting there with your pen and paper and your fingers crossed talking in such a monotone, you know, voice, I'm not going to listen to you. That I'm not going to listen to you. So if I want to connect to somebody, I need to be that person that I want will want somebody to be for me. And that gets lost a lot of times when we allow people to put us again in these boxes. What's the whole point of us doing this work? Exactly. <laughs> We're not going to make an impact. Oh, Kira, that was great. Yes. Keep showing up as your authentic self. Be as raw as you need to be with these babies. <laughs> you know what? Because I, I honestly can't see me being anything else. I think that would be more of a struggle than me trying not to be me. Mm -hmm. That's like, what causes burnout. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Let's not talk about burnout. <laughs> I have to out the hard way. Like seriously, the hard way. Mm. You want to get into that just a little bit? Sure. <laughs> I want to hear how you have to learn burnout the hard way. Okay, what was so that listen, story? My first job, I'm going to call that a job because that was not a career path <laughs> or a career experience that I would have wished on anybody. Um, I was working for a private owned company who took advantage. I'm just going to be honest. They not only took advantage of their workers, but they took advantage of the clients which was my driving force out the door. Um, towards the end of working for them, I found myself sitting in the director's office arguing more than I should have been because our visions were not aligning with what she outlined the purpose of her company to be. It should be no reason why your employees are doing everything that they can to fulfill your vision and you're undercutting everything for a quick dollar. So I found myself um, struggling. Let's just say I was struggling and I, I found myself fighting a losing battle to the point where like there would be days that I would cry. I was like literally crying because I just could not understand why this individual in this certain position was not using her abilities were good and it was hurting so many people towards the end of that journey and i don't even know if a lot of people noticed towards the end of that journey um we went months without even getting paid and i mean months and um one day i had enough like 
I went to work and I asked, I said, we getting our checks today? And this was probably three months down the line. And I said, are we getting paid today? They said, no. I said, all right, cool. I'm going home. Call me when you got my check. And I left. And I did not come back. Um, and I got a phone call. I'll never forget this. I got a phone call. They called us all in the office. And they gave us letters to freaking go apply for food stamps. And I was like, you can't. Where my money at? I, Thank you for the letter. Where my money? And it was so heartbreaking because when... I can remember this so vividly, like walking through, walking through that front door, I got chills. Like walking through that front door, you had the clients working at the front desk. You had the clients running the daycare center and you had to pass all of them. Um, the clients sitting in the lobby and they're like, Miss Kiyo, are you coming back? You coming back? Where are you going? No, nah, baby, I'm going home. Well, why? And I felt so heartbroken that I was letting them down, but I could not allow myself to be taken advantage of anymore. And that was such a burnout for me fighting for something that I was hired to do, which is crazy. I'm showing up, I'm doing the job that you hired me to do, but I have to fight to properly do it. Make that make sense. And that allowed me to create the most healthy work-life balance I've ever had in my life. Um, When I'm not at work, I'm not at work. Even to this day, people know if I'm not at work, do not call me. If I'm not getting paid for it, do not call me. Talk to the people that are on the clock getting paid. And it's not to be mean, but oh, people just take your kindness for weakness. And you give somebody an inch, they're always going to take a mile. And if I don't stand up and set my boundaries in place, you're going to keep trying to walk all over me. And I'm just not that person. And it's not a slight to you know anybody, because I'm, I'm such a a helping and willing individual but it's a doggy dog world in every profession so although that was such a tough experience for me it literally was the foundation of me having a mentally healthy lifestyle while still fulfilling you know my passions i'm so proud of you for walking out I am. I'm so proud of you for walking out. And you know what? I do hate you had to go through that, but I'm so glad that, you know, because sometimes, especially so early in your career, right? Because I I think I heard you say that was one of your first jobs. The very first. Right. Because I remember my internship, one of, I, that's when I learned burndown. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to have a good work-life balance. And so <laughs> when that happens early in your career, and now that sets you up for success to have, to know what a good work-life balance is, but you first had to, oh my goodness, after three months, had to walk out. You, you literally know, had to walk out. longer than three months, honestly, because mm -hmm. I can remember um, the first time we didn't get paid, I still kept going to work. And then we didn't get paid again, and I still was going to work. And I'll never forget, my mom asked me, well, how do they expect you to pay your rent? And I was like, I, was like, I don't know. Because, um, like, I had a two-bedroom, two two-bathroom apartment all by myself. I was paying my own car notes and everything by myself. So I, I just remember telling people, I'm doing it for them. Like, I'm not doing it for the individual that's running this company. I'm doing it for the clients. They need me. But then it became a point where... If I can't genuinely show up without bringing my frustration that this company is causing me, I just need to stay at home. Because that's not helping 
you know, the clients that I had. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to turn into being the client and they be the therapist to where I'm bitten to them. So no, you need to stay home. You need to walk on out. And then I think too, and then I'm going to go into our ne our next question. I think too, that we model for our clients because if they were doing Absolutely. all of that, we model for our clients what it means to stand up for yourself when you finally just walk out and say enough is enough. And, and I, so you know you're what? doing them a disservice by continuing to show up. Mm -hmm. But then when you walk out, even though you're like, oh, I know they they might need the services that you are providing, you might have been more beneficial to them by going ahead and walking out and showing them you got to stand up for yourself. Absolutely. And I know you said you want to go to the next question, but you opened another door with that. Mm -hmm. I can remember um, when I started making the decision to leave, I was kind of like tying up my loose ends because even though I knew I needed to leave for me, I didn't want to leave my girls high and dry. Right. So during that time, <laughs> the place I was working for had received a grant to start placing these women in apartments. These apartments were in some of the worst of the worst neighborhoods in Montgomery, Alabama. And when I found out where they were, I am not going to lie. Back then I lied. But I'm not going to lie. I started coaching my girls on how to stand up for themselves because we did not put in all this work for us to send you back to the trap house. This is not going to happen. So I think that's probably why they didn't mind, like the company didn't mind me leaving because my girls had started taking on my personality to stand up for themselves. I love it. I love it. Yes. Yes. Good. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to get back to always be your raw self. Always yeah. be that authentic self because your clients are benefiting from you showing up as your authentic self. Yes. <laughs> Here, what is one belief about social work that you started on this journey with that you feel has changed the most? That I could change the world. Uh <laughs> <laughs> like, I think that's every social worker's belief. Going in, it's like, oh, I'm about to change the world. Girl, please, not happening. Like, you can change one person at a time, and that person you may change may not even change to the degree that you want them to change, but any small change is a change. And that is something I really, really had to realize that you can't force somebody to change according to what you want them to be because they are who they are. Allow them to be the best version of themselves and that be okay with you. So yeah, I absolutely. had to learn that really fast. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We, I think we like thinking we can be Captain Save a Ho. Yes. And it's like, I don't want to be changed. <laughs> yes. Oh, we are at our last question. I know I had a different question, but we hit. Yeah, I know. But and thank you. I want to say this. Thank you so much for coming on. I really wanted to talk about Magnificent Delights. I, I've said it to you a couple of times. I'm going to say it one more time. You are Stacey Pedic Chips in, a, <laughs> in, in the brown sugar body. And I cannot wait to see Magnificent Delights go national if not global international we're claiming yes, it i received that so excited for you we have a little kitty cat here so you're gonna have to give us the link Absolutely. so that we can get him some treats and so that i can put it under your um podcast description okay. for other so other pet mamas and daddies can um get their babies some treats as well so because we're social workers we're going to support each other in Love all me. things but 
You've done so much with your career. I mean, not just within the field of social work. I love that you're you're just out, out of the box with Magnificent Delights. <laughs> I mean, I love that. And I didn't even get to ask you, and maybe you'll speak to it, you know, I, part of your bio said that you believe that pet owners, um, that you know that pets play a pivotal role in the mental health journey for individuals. And I'm just like, I, I want to even see that within the field of social work, the role of pets and mental health be more prominent with what we do as social workers. But I won't go there now. That's just one of my dreams as well. But how what in what ways do you feel like you give back to the profession? That's a good question. Um, I would have to say um, I give back to the profession by simply just being me. It is really easy to get lost into in a version of who people want you to be, but that will never get you far. Um, I have had so much success with confronting people. Um, and one thing that I have been able, which is a joy to teach people is that confrontation is not a bad thing. Running from the confrontation is what creates the problem. Confrontation is a sign of love. If I wasn't addressing this with you, um, I wouldn't care. You know, I'll never forget um, the, the job that I'm at now. <laughs> I had a kid who was literally living through his, nope, this was a girl. I was literally living through her family trauma. And I told her mom, before you come back to another family session, I need you to go get your own individual therapist. Because the life that you're living and the direction that you have gotten this child on is going to erase all the individual work that she has done. And it's not fair to her to do the work that she's doing here and have to return to the home that created it. So being able to not be afraid of confrontation has allowed me to probably go beyond what my job really requires me to do. So, so yeah, I would say just being me is the best contribution I could ever offer. I love that. And you know what, here, I love that you brought up confrontation because it is reminding me of the image that you painted of the social worker in, in Connecticut with the pearls. <laughs> <laughs> Bless her heart. I hope she's doing well. But part of that is there's the, there feels like there's this, we, you know, we're not supposed to be confrontational or we because we're in this field, we're not supposed to be confrontational. But that is how you get the work done. Confrontation is caring. Confrontation is compassion. Confrontation is healing. Right. And so, again, that is that being outside of the box of what we were taught. Um, and doing what actually works. Yep. And you know what? That was, um, we had, uh, right after that, I think we had a staff meeting or something. Uh, and I was telling them about it. And one of my coworkers said, you can't do that. Who can't? I did it. And I, and then we had another um, meeting and I talked about it. And I said, guess what? Y'all got a phone call from my mama. And she thanked me so much for telling her that she needed to go get therapy. And they were like, what? What? How do you do that? Because I'm not afraid to do what other people are afraid to do. Me being afraid to address problems will only lead 
the world sick. And I didn't, I was not blessed with the gift of healing to continue to watch you stay sick because you're too afraid to address the problem. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Thank you for doing this work. Thank you for what you do within the field of social work. And thank you for stepping outside of the field and doing what you do for our pet, our fur babies. Love it. No, you're, yeah. thank you for the space to be able to share. Oh, I was excited about having you on the Goddesses. <laughs> so I couldn't wait. I was so glad that you said yes. So thank you. And congratulations again for all the barriers that you're breaking. And I cannot wait to see Magnificent Delights go international. Cannot thank wait. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Goddesses of Social Work Podcast. We are glad you were here. If you liked this episode, please come back to hear more stories of the journeys through social work and please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. See you next time here on the Goddesses of Social Work Podcast.